The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the 45-minute period here is Mr. Don Durrett, the man behind a little website called goldstockdata.com. So surprise, surprise, when we talk about gold a little bit here. But Don, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? As you're interested involved in precious metals, and what are you doing currently? Well, currently I do. I work full-time on my website, which you just mentioned, Gold Stock Data. So I started the website 2012. I created it because I couldn't find any data on gold and silver mining stocks. Before I did the website, I wrote a book, How to Invest in Gold and Silver, with a focus on mining stocks. It's basically a textbook that teaches people how to invest in gold and silver miners. So I've pretty much been focusing on that. I retired from Chevron in 2016. And so I've just been doing this stuff. And I, I also write books on other topics besides gold and silver. So it's, that's kind of, kind of my hobby. I, I, I don't know which, which, which is my hobby, the gold and silver or the other writing. But those are kind of the two facets of myself. But I'm trying to help people. I'm an investor, of course. I own about 150 positions in PM miners. But I feel that what I've been doing with my book and my website is basically giving back and sharing information and trying to help people out. Because when I started doing this in 2004, buying juniors, I, didn't, I couldn't find any, any information. Had to do it all on my own. It was a pain. So that's why I'm doing it. So I wasn't aware of how many books you've written, but you were quite prolific, for lack of a better way of saying it. Yeah, about 15. Yeah, I write. I've been, I keep writing more. <laughs> So wh- why the focus on on miners in particular? Wh- why that subgroup of the equity landscape? It fits my personality. I guess I'm a gambler at heart, the speculating side. So I basically became a gold bug in 1989. I go way back. And I got got some money from my grandfather in, in 1991 and put it in a, in a gold fund a gold mutual fund and pretty much have never bought regular stocks. So once I became a, a a gold bug, my focus has always been, I actually came into this kind of a macro guy, kind of a, you know, an analyzing what drives the economy, what drives politics. I've written a couple of books on politics. I've actually written a constitution. So I have this political, economic kind of, that's kind of what's in my head. And I was a, I have an MBA, so I kind of understand business. 
that I, I kind of like, I like the big picture. I write about the future. And so gold is the ultimate hedge, doesn't have any counterpart or risk. And I've always thought that the U.S. economy is not sound because we went away from mercantilism in the 60s, which was working great. And then set in the 70s, it slowly died. And then the 80s, Reagan just you know threw it out the window and said, forget about mercantilism. We're going to go with globalism. And globalism is, you know, it's a very dangerous strategy because you start living off of debt. Globalism basically means that you get all your stuff externally and in your corporations invest money in foreign countries. Instead of investing in our country, they go and invest in foreign countries like Apple, for instance. You know, they, they build all their products in China or Vietnam or other countries and they import them back into the U.S. That's kind of globalism in a nutshell. And it doesn't work. It, 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 what it does is it, it bank, bankrupts your com- country. And so I could see that coming. I actually wrote a book called The Demise of America with the dollar bill ripped in half because I saw that the dollar's toast, and, and it's starting to become apparent now, the dollar's toast, America's toast, we're seeing it, our, our cities are basically disintegrating before our eyes. San Francisco used to be the most beautiful city in this country. It used to be a beautiful place to visit. And now it's a terrible place to visit. Like, what in the heck's going on here? And it's it's just, it's an indication of what's happening economically as well. So our social, social you know, once the, the economy starts to hollow out, the social starts hollowing out as well. And now our political system is completely broken. And so that's why I went to gold, because gold is the ultimate hedge. And so ultimately, the dollar dies and gold goes up. So if gold goes up, the miners have incredible leverage. Now, the risk is unbelievably high. You're basically betting. You're, you're betting on higher gold, silver prices. You're speculating. But if you're right, you're going to make a lot of money because the multiples are just going to go nuts if, you, if we hit these really high gold, silver prices, which I think we will. So that's where I'm focused 100%, except for I also speculate in crypto because I think crypto is another speculative you know, high risk reward type of endeavor. So for me, they kind of, they fit. You kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, but the idea of viewing gold as a political asset versus a non-political asset, I think is an interesting way to frame it because the reality is politicians love fiat because that's the easiest way to get elected and reelected. by promising more when you don't have the discipline on how much you can spend. But but help me out a little bit on this because I've I found this to be quite, challenging. I, I've tried to do a number of different backtests to link the price of gold to gold mining stocks. And it's not really as tight of a relationship as people would think. I know you've got a whole book, obviously, on this, but, you know, right. how do you think about co-movements, right? Because the co-movement's not as tight as, let's say, drillers and oil. So what people miss on on gold, it, it's really, it's really difficult. It's you have to be somewhat visionary. You have to understand history. And this is the reason why, you know, and, and the other thing that you have to realize is what is, it's, it's really difficult. For instance, gold has never in our history broken out and then continued. It only broke out, we basically only broken out twice, 1980 and 2011. You you could say that we did it in 2020, but I was kind of a you know kind of a, not really a breakout because we kind of we didn't go much above the the all time high. But when we did this in 1980, we went to eight eight fifty. We went up 
hit eight eight fifty in, in, in gold, and then we came back down. In 2011, we went to 1935. Basically, you had this big move up, and then we came back down. It died. So we've never had a breakout, an extended breakout. And in theory, this is the reason why people don't own gold and silver mining stocks today, because it's never happened before. So why would you expect you know, something that's never happened? And the the only thing that will push gold, what's good, what's about to happen over the next few years is unprecedented. And so if, you, if, if you're going to say, oh, this is going to happen, you're basically saying something that's never happened before. So vision, you have to have vision and understanding of why it's going to happen. And for me, it's like clear as day. It's kind of like Michael Burry back in 2004 or five when he was analyzing you know, these MBSs, and he basically said, these things are not, these are going to fail. It's, 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 it's inevitable. And he said, you know, in the movie, he said it was a sure thing. And, and I feel the same way with gold. It's a sure thing. But most people think they thought Michael Burry was nuts. And people that are gold bugs, they think we're nuts as well. But if you connect all the dots, it, it all becomes clear. So what drives gold up? is the U.S. economy basically hitting a wall. So the U.S. economy has been growing since 1945 steadily. And any any correction has been short-lived. Although in the 1960s, you basically had, you know, the stock market kind of die for like 10 years. Of, and then finally it started growing again. And then it was off, it's been off to the races ever since. But, his, but since 1945, the U.S. economy has basically been sound. And that soundness has been dying. It's been slowly, slowly slipping away. See, this is what you have to, to see. You have to vision, have vision and recognize that the U.S. economy is no longer sound. So once, if it's no longer sound, then basically bad things are going to happen. And when bad things happen, that's when, that's when gold and silver finally break out. And when they do break out this time, they will break out for an extended period, which will be totally unprecedented. Nobody's expecting it. So I keep saying that, you know, silver, well, gold is going to basically lead because gold is like big brother, silver's little sis. So when gold gets to 2100, once it gets above 2100, we probably won't see 2000 again, maybe in our lifetime. That's, that's, that's the kind of move we're about ready to see here. And when it starts running, it's going to go 22, 23, and it's just going to run, you know, all the way to probably $3,500. And if you do a 30 to 1 star, when gold hits 3,000, you 30 to 1, silver will be at $100. And most people think this is nuts. We're not going to $100 silver. We're not going to $3,000 gold. It's all about gold, and it's all about the U.S. economy. And if you can see... The U.S. economy is no longer sound and that the Fed is losing control. Once the Fed loses control and once they adopted MMT in 2008, it was basically game over. It was just a matter of time. They were able to kick the can down the road from 2009 through through today by basically liquefying the financial system by printing money. And the Fed's balance sheet was basically $1 trillion in 2000. Today, it's almost at nine. I'm not sure how close to nine, but it's over eight. And the U.S. government's debt is $32 trillion, and the interest is about $800 billion a year. So we, we're, we finally have reached this point where we can no longer kick the can down the road. 
And this is the reason why gold and silver are so unbelievably attractive and people are basically blind to what's coming because they don't see, they, they, you can't, they haven't connected the dots. So that's my story in a nutshell. But, but, why, but why the miners in particular relative to just playing gold or silver? I mean, I hear, I hear on the leverage argument, my, my, my only counter to that is it's not clear to me that if, if gold prices really run, that gold mining stocks would necessarily run in the same way. Yeah, you mentioned the Chevron background, right? I've done studies that would suggest that you know, a lot of the miners' profitability is also driven by oil, oil prices, right? Because it's yeah, energy right. intensive to, to get this. Let me cut you off and answer the question. You're right. I didn't answer your question. To me, it's self-evident, but there's a, there's a few points that kind of will kind of answer your question. The first point is this, is that cost will not go up as fast as gold and silver. Gold and silver prices are getting ready to just, just go bonkers, if you will. So the margins are, are going to spread out. And as the margins spread out, especially with the silver miners. So for instance, if you go to $75 silver, which I don't think is that far in the, into the distance, even if costs go to $30, which I don't think they will, I think the cost will probably be on 25. But let's just say they go to, go to 30, right? Your margins are $45 an ounce. <laughs> Today, the margins are basically a dollar. You know, we have the, the silver price right now is about 23 and all in cost about 22. So you're, you're basically making about $1. And the margins are going to spread out to about $45 or higher. So the margins are just going to go through the roof. So what's going to happen is that when the margins go up like that, the multiples will spread out. So right now, the average multiple is somewhere around 5 and 10 on a, on a quality producer. And so you're, so you're going to get a double exponential growth on the valuation of these miners. Uh, an example is, I mean, if you go back and look at history and you see it, what some of these stocks have done historically, it's pretty amazing. You can go back to the 1970s and look at what some of the multiples were then. They just kind of went absolutely crazy. You could actually actually go in the 30s as well, homestake mining. You can go to the 70s and then you can see some of the stocks that did in the early, you know, 1998 through 2005, you had some craziness. But what happens is when the price of the metals, gold and silver, start going up faster than cost. You get this exponential situation where the the company gets valued higher based on the metals going up, and then they get a higher multiple because their margins go up. So you get this kind of this exponential growth. So what's going to happen? And then there, and then the other thing that people are missing here is basically FOMO. And so once silver runs like from 30 to 50, these, these stocks will be going up unbelievably amounts. I mean, we're talking multiples, you know, 100% of the time. And when they do that, it brings in more money. So the silver, the overall, the, the silver and the gold market for miners is tiny, especially the silver miners. It's like unbelievably small. And so it's like, I've heard people use an analogy of like trying to open up the Hoover Dam and, and try to get all the, you know, all the water out. It's like a straw going out of the Hoover Dam. There's just, it's such a tiny market that it just blows up these stocks where you get basically a bubble, if you will, but the multiples go nuts. I only value these companies up to a 30 multiple. I don't, I don't go above it. And I usually value them into the future, 15 to 20, which I'm being very conservative. And I'm still finding 
you know, 5, 10, 20 baggers using conservative numbers. So what's going to happen is you're going to get this exponential growth in these miners. And then the FOMO, people are going to go, geez, that company just went up 50% in a week. And, you know, and every, and gold, and gold's going higher. And so like, I got to get in on this. And so you're going to have, and then when people want in, I'll give you an example. There's only like 15 silver miners, pure, I mean, when they call themselves silver mining companies, there's only like 15 of them. That's it. And if you want to buy one that's in a good location, there's very, very few silver miners. There's not a single silver miner in Australia today. And there, there's some, but they're not gold. They're not considered silver miners. They're like gold miners. And there's very few, you could say that in Canada, you got Hecla that's mining in the Yukon. They bought the Alexco mine. But there, and then you got the United States, you got Coor and you got Hecla. But there is so few silver miners in good locations. It's like, it's insane. So if, if these institutions want to buy silver stocks in good locations, good luck finding them. They're just not there. And then when silver's running from 30 to 50, everybody's going to be wanting to buy them. I don't know what the multiple is going to be on Hecla, but I guarantee you it's going to be a lot higher than people expect. So you get the FOMO, you get the, exp, you get the, the higher, higher margins. And then you get just the increase in their balance sheets. So their balance sheets are going to improve. Then what's going to happen is they're going to get this high cash flow. So what are they going to do with the high cash flow? They're going to buy back their stocks and they're, they're going to pay dividends. So you get the scenario, if you connect the dots, is pretty insane. If silver runs from, say, it's a 23 today, if it runs from 23 to 100, um, the silver miners are just going to go nuts, and you can put that in a capital N. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. You mentioned location a couple of times there. So talk through the audience sort of a framework for how to think about the right locations for some of these gold miners and silver miners in terms of Yes, relative safety, right? To take out some of the jubilee. Obviously, there's, there's the U.S., but how do you think yeah. about analyzing location when it comes to looking at Meyer? Yeah, location is really important. I, I just give you an example. Right now, resources is becoming kind of a hot topic, especially for like emerging markets. You have, you know, a lot of these countries, the local, wherever the, wherever the local natives are, that are the locals there basically sometimes will be against these mines and, you know, they can shut them down or make it hard to get permits. But you can have different types of risk. One of the risks is they can increase taxes, they can increase royalties, and that's going to lower your margins. And that's going to happen. And that tends to happen in third world emerging market countries, such as South America, Central America, and Africa. All these countries add risk because of that. You just... Since it's basically, they consider it a national resource, they go, well, we want mine. So for instance, right now, Mexico is, is increasing their taxes by 5%. It's kind of going through the courts. 
but they needed a 5% increase. And we can handle 5%, but then if they do it again, then you have some taxes and royalties are going to go up, especially in these emerging markets. And so you want to kind of avoid the emerging markets, but the emerging market is really where all uh, uh, most gold and silver is produced, especially silver. Gold, we have a lot of gold production in the US, Canada, and Australia, but in the emerging markets. So if we look at kind of the risks, so we have the, the royalties, I mean, increase in royalty rates, increase in the taxes. But the other thing that's very significant is what I call partial, partial nationalization. Now, what is partial? So they can't nationalize, for instance, this is what they would, what Mexico just did with their lithium. They did what I call a partial nationalization. What they did was they said, look, if you're a foreign, foreign entity and you want to come down here and mine lithium, the only way you're going to do that is with a partnership with the government. So in other words, the government gets partial ownership in these lithium mines. Free. They, the government doesn't have to put anything in and we just get partial ownership. So what they could do is they could do the same thing with, with the precious metals mines. They could basically say, okay, we want 10% or 20% of all the, of, of, you know, every mine in Mexico. And then we get, we own 10 to 20%. We get 10 to 20% of your free cash flow. And so that could happen. So that adds risk as well. And so if, if they make an announcement like that overnight, your stock, let's say you have a single a stock down in Mexico. I mean, I just throw one out like Silvercrest, which has mines in Mexico and has low cost and has high margins. So tomorrow, if Mexico said, said we're going to throw a law in there, we're going to take 10% ownership. You know, Silvercrest stock would drop maybe 20% overnight. And so people know that this, and, and Mexico probably won't be the first country to do this partial nationalization. It'll probably happen in like in Argentina, you know, something like that, Peru or some country, maybe Central America, maybe Colombia will do it. But if they, whatever country does it first, they won't be the last. And then it'll kind of spread from there. But when one country does it, that'll add risk to owning stocks in these emerging market countries. So then people are going to go, I don't want to own, I don't, I don't want to buy any, I don't want to own any stocks in Mexico or in Argentina or in Brazil. I want to own them in the US, Canada, Australia. And so if you want to do that, you know, Heckle and Coor are, are going to benefit big time on that. And then there's a couple of silver development stories in Australia that I think make a lot of sense because of this. It, you know, it's, it's better to own a silver producer, you know, in Australia or Canada or the U.S. And so there, there, that answers that question. It sounds to me like you are more of the mindset that the right tail risk, meaning kind of the more explosive upside, comes from gold, silver, not so much from Bitcoin, whereas a lot of Bitcoin fans would argue, you know, much more upside potential with Bitcoin. Is that a fair characterization in terms of just potential that you see? I, if you're comparing gold and silver mining stocks to Bitcoin, we don't know which one's going to perform better. We just don't. I think in I think that crypto is more long term. I think that crypto's potential, if you will, is is more back into this decade, you know, 2026, 27, 28. Whereas I think gold and silver are getting ready to run right now. I I think that you know once gold gets to 2100, let's so let's. Both of them have big upside. Let's just admit it. Potential. You know, a lot of people say crypto is, you know, a scam. But 
for me, I, I kind of liked as a speculation. I think that the upside potential is there. So I'm, 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 but I don't have a lot of allocation. I only have, six, I think between six and seven percent of my total portfolio, cost basis wise, is in crypto. So I'm not, you know, over the top in crypto. But I, I, I want to have, you know, basically started with, you know, three percent, but it kind of doubled because I just think that the potential upside is there. But let's so in gold, and I think that we're we're looking at you know three, five, ten barriers, and, and that's the way I look at it in every every play. So I don't do a play a stock unless I think it's at least a three bagger, because I'm speculating, and I I just don't see. I mean, even today, I think Barrick and Newmont are three about three baggers, but I don't own them. But I I don't right now because when this big correction, I I I, I see no problem owning. You know the biggest producers like Agnico Eagle, Newmont. I think those are kind of good plays if you want a three bagger. Um, so it's like almost all of the almost not all the producers are three bagger plus, but most of them are. But there's a ton. I have 89 stocks on my 10 bagger list right now. It's it's pretty insane because we're in this correction mode. But let's talk a little bit about gold and silver in the near term, what's going to happen. So we have gold has been hanging tough at 1900 since March, which is, is in my view, is really signaling what's coming. Gold, gold has not broken down. I mean, if you go back to 2013, when gold, so gold peaked 2011, and then it, it basically crashed in 2013, when the market said the economy is basically back on its feet. Well, we're not seeing a repeat of that. We're not seeing that gold is not acting like the economy is getting is going to get back on its feet. Otherwise, it would be you know sub eighteen fifty right now. And so, gold, and I think, is going to have one more correction. Um, I don't. I don't think nineteen hundred will hold, and I don't think eighteen fifty will hold. Eighteen fifty will hold. So it's going to have one more correction. I think somewhere. I think eighteen hundred will hold because of the technical chart, but it could go below below it. So we got. If we look at where it's going, 1850, 1800, 1750, 1700, one of those I think will hold. And the good thing about it is, is that the low for this correction, the correction started in August of 2020. That's when we basically had that run, that COVID run from, from March to August. So we've been in a three-year correction in the precious metals, and the, and the low in that correction was 1615. I do not think we're going back down to retest that low, which means that we're going higher. We're not going to break down. That means we're going to break up. And so I'm waiting for that correction low, and then once we get it, then we, we, go, we take off. And then once we get above 2200, 2100, that's when it starts. So silver, we actually went down below 1800. So the three-year correction was about 1750. I do not think we're going to retest 1750. I think $18 is a possibility, but I'm hoping $20 holds. So we're looking somewhere between you know, $18 and say 21. We're going to go down somewhere and hit a bottom. But we're going to, I think we're going to bounce. And then once silver gets to 27, it's probably going to be game on for silver because once it gets above 27 it'll have like a magnet of 30 gets above 30 that's a that's a breakout and once you have a breakout you generally get a run and so the next run there's a magnet of 35 and then once you get above 35 there's just not a lot of resistance so you're looking at a new all-time high in silver i think once we once we hit this bottom 18 to 21 and we bounce 
I don't think it's going to take much to get to 27. And once you get to 27, I think you get to 50 within six months. So we're not that far away. I, I think we're within 12 months. What I just outlined, I think it's going to happen within 12 months. You mentioned that you've been <clears throat> investing in the space you know, since, I think, 89. How do you manage risk in your portfolio? Because these miners, you know, they can have some pretty big, big swings. Yeah, I, I ride in Seek and Alpha, and I, and I talk, a, I've been at putting my philosophy and how I diversify. And I put it, I talk about it in my book. In my book, in my book, I wrote my book around 2010. I created a, a pyramid approach. So if you're going to speculate in miners and you're going to do it for long term, then you have to have a base. So you think about pyramids. So the base of the pyramid is where you have most of your investment. So the, the very bottom of the base is physical. And so that I basically have 8% of my cost basis in physical silver. I don't have physical gold, but physical silver. And so that is you know, kind of your foundation. And then right above the physical, I have mutual funds. So I have three mutual funds. And then I have six ETFs. So mutual funds and ETFs basically aren't going to go bankrupt. And I, I use the, the mutual funds for basically for my majors. I don't have GDX. For instance, in my six ETFs, I don't have GDX. So, and so but those are my foundation. And then above that, I have my really high quality producers. And I have some majors in there, but I don't, I don't own Barrick or, or Yamana, but I, own, I do own some, some majors. Um, big position in Agnico Eagle. What else? El Dorado, Hecla, SS. I don't think SSR mine is a major yet. And then, and then right above that, I have a lot of mid tiers, at least 30 mid tiers. And so that is the foundation of my portfolio. And so that allows me to now I can speculate. And so as you go up the pyramid, the pyramid narrows. So once you get above those, those, those categories, now you're into your, development plays and your juniors. And I, I actually break juniors into seven categories. And I, you know, I start, you know, by the juniors. And then the higher the risk, as you go up the portfolio, the higher the risk of the stock is, the less you allocate. For instance, a developer stock, I will not put more than a half percent of my cost basis into a developer. It's more like, you know, 0.25, 0.4, something like that. Because these are, you know, 10 bag, most of these are 10 potential 10 baggers and then drill stories. I've actually, you know, you know, for me, a drill story is like 0.25, you know, just, I just want to have a position just in case it, you know, does something. We don't know, you know, who's going to, you know, which one, which of these stocks are going to do extremely well. So I have over 150 positions. I don't know the exact count, 160, 165, right in there. And so I have a lot of small positions in these high risk stocks. But that's how I do it. I use this pyramid style that I explain in my book to diversify risk. Now, here's the key here. The key is whenever, whenever you get a big correction like we're having right now, a lot of stocks, a lot of your high-risk stocks are going to get obliterated. So what you have to do is you have to, and I've, I've done this right now, is you have to basically buy these dips to maintain your portfolio or to improve it. And I, I've actually found some of my best stocks during these big corrections. And so I just over the weekend, I was actually looking at my stocks that are down more than 70% that basically that I like. 
and basically writing them down so that when we do get a dip here, I, I'm right now waiting that I'm going to add stock, add shares. I'm going to lower my cost basis on those stocks. And so that's how I do it. So I, you have to kind of protect your portfolio. So that's how I do it. Basically, if I see it, if I have stocks that are down more than 7%, but I have to still like the story. But if I still like the story, I'm going to, you know, buy some shares to lower my cost basis so that I can, you know, get back even. Now, some people like to trade. So like, okay, this stock is a dog. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to replace it. There's something, you know, this is a, this is a typical mentality. They're like, I know I can find a stock that's better than that one. So I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to sell that dog. I'm going to buy it put my money in this one because it's a better stock. That, that's basically a trader's mentality. But I don't, I'm more of a buy and a hold mentality. Everybody has a different you know, strategy, a different mindset. I'm more of a build my portfolio, wait for $3,000 gold, wait for $100 silver. So even though these stocks are pretty much dogs, they're down 7% or more. If I still like the story, I think they can come back. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll buy some more shares and lower my cost basis up to a point. If I've, if I've already done that a few times and I have a, you know, now I have, you know, a big allocation there, I'll just stop. You know, I'll, I'll throw, I'll basically throw in the towel and say, I'm done. I'm done adding to this dog. You know, I might, I might add to a dog, dog a couple of times at a certain point. I'll basically throw in the towel. Sometimes I'll sell it. Especially if the story has changed and I think the story has changed and, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be a success, then I'll sell it. So that's kind of an overview of my philosophy. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Now that that I'm fully understood on that, that makes quite a bit of sense. What what causes something to get kicked out of a portfolio for you? So you've got, you know, you don't want being buy and hold. I mean, there's always something that causes the thesis to change, right? So what are some of the red flags for you? Yeah, there's a lot of lot lot of red flags. The the biggest one, oh gosh, I mean, this is we could talk about this for 20 minutes. So it's about what causes the story to change. And there's a lots there's lots of different things that could cause the story to change. You could have the capex basically blow out, and so now this kind you know um, they could dilute. They could this could be a company that's basically just you know, diluting into the ground. The way they finance the capex can hurt you. You could have a permit problem, and it looks like that permit problem is not going to get resolved. You could have you know maybe a, the board people start quitting on the board. The C, a good CEO leaves so many things. A resource, you had expectations that the resource was going to be big and now it's not big. This is where it takes a lot of years of experience. You know, I always say that you're a newbie at least two years in and maybe even three years in, you're a newbie. It takes a while to really understand this stuff. There's so many factors that can change the story. And you have to, you have to decide as an investor which you know, of those factors, you know, 
At what point is it pushing over the edge? I, I have my this one friend. He, he basically he he likes and it's, this isn't a bad strategy. He basically says that once the bad news starts, run, get out. <laughs> basically, you know, he's more conservative than me, and, and it, it works for him. It's basically if he he buys a stock. As soon if, if a company has what if the story starts to change, right? There's a bad news filter. Once the bad news starts, it's like the cockroach series. Once the bad bad news starts, get out. See you later. He does he doesn't give a he doesn't give a company basically a second chance. You make one mistake and you're gone. So that's that's kind of the you know, the very conservative way. Me, I'll I'll give a company a lot of rope, <laughs> depending on what it is. And I'll, I'll wait it out and see if they can turn things around. But it, 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 there are so many dynamics of the story. You know, you and when you invest in a stock and you have all these expectations, and then then you watch how the story unfolds. Ideally, you want to see a story that you know from get go is just green, 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 right? Like I, I just wrote a story, wrote an article on Vizsla. It's coming out in Seeking Alpha this week. And I bought Vizsla right when they made their first first discovery oil. It's like, you know, I really liked what they're saying. You know, they're basically saying we got all these targets. You know, this is going to be a big silver mine. And, and you know, they, their first couple drills, I'm like, I'm in. Because I thought I got I, the thing about drill stories. You want to get it. If you're going to get if you're going to do a drill store, you want to get in early. You don't want to wait. Like, for instance, in Snowline, I would I I. I didn't get into Snowline early. I mean, it's a beautiful story. But now look at the valuations, like $400 million. It was too late. You know, we're too late to the story. You wanted to buy Snowline when it was under $100 million. And I could have, but I, I didn't. It was a big mistake on my part. But once in a while, and my gut told me to buy it too. But, but Vizsla, again, I just wrote the story on it. Vizsla, since that those original drill holes, it's been beautiful story ever since. I mean, there's that original story has never changed. There hasn't been anything kind of negative. There hasn't, it's just been, you know, green light after green light. But the thing about it is, is that if you do get in early, like that it's a long-term bet. Business is not going to get its full valuation until, you know, probably 26, 27, 28. It's going to be a, it's going to be a long wait for the, the full payoff. But I don't mind, you know, a five-year investment. But I mean, business is already 200 million ounces. It's probably going to be 300, 400 million and it's high grade. So I have it valued at 12 million as a 12 million ounce producer. And I, I think it, you know, conceivably it should be able to do that based on what they're doing. So there hasn't, like I said, so for Vizsla now, I'm crossing my fingers that, at, that they won't dilute me into the ground because development projects are expensive, that they won't dilute me into the ground, number one. They won't sell. Eric Sprott owns about 15%. And I don't think he's going to want to sell. I think he owns 10. Management owns about 15. So between those two, I don't think they're going to sell. So that's where, and then how they finance the CapEx, you can have big CapEx. And then how long it takes them to, you know, get a definitive feasibility study. They're going to do a PEA in 24. Yeah, not till 24. So I don't think we're going to get a DFS until 26. But, you know, hopefully we don't get any bad news. You know, the story just stays, stays positive throughout the whole deal. I, I wrote about it a lot this weekend, so I, that was on the top of my head. But we're always looking at, you know, the, the factors that are, you know, the red flags that pop up. 
what's going to change the story. That's when you decide, you have, you have to decide as an investor that this wasn't what you signed up for. This is a whole different thing and it's not as positive as you originally thought. Is there anything on the macro front that would be a red flag for the bull case? For gold, I mean, yeah, I always go back to that old line that Mark Favre of the Gloom, Boom, and Doom report said, which is that yes. if you want to short central banks, you go long gold, right? Which I think is an interesting way to frame it. You can make the same case for Bitcoin. But is there anything that, that on the macro side would, would, would invalidate the, the at least short-term potential? Yes. I So I write a newsletter every month, and the first five to eight pages is always focused on macro. It's not, it's not focused on any mining stock. It's, it, you know, I, I, my website is gold, gold and silver mining stocks. My, my website has nothing to do with macro other than the forum. But my newsletter, the first five to eight pages is always macro. It's, and the reason why is because macro is what drives gold. And I always say you should not be investing in gold and silver miners for the near term. For you know, one year. For instance, okay, here's a stock that's basically generating free cash flow and gold, and so I'm going to invest in this mining company because if gold stays flat or goes down a hundred dollars, I'm going to get you know those two percent dividend, maybe or less, and maybe it'll appreciate in value five percent. To me, that's just ridiculous. It just doesn't make any sense at all because there's way too much volatility. And you should only be investing in mining stocks if you're speculating. And you should only be investing in gold and silver metal if you're speculating for much higher gold and silver prices. Not a $100, $200 move in gold. You should be investing in it because you're expecting a $500 move in gold and a $25 move in silver. And the, and, and the only thing that does that is economics, is the macro macroeconomics and global macroeconomics. And what we're waiting, and, and yes, there are definitely the red flag for gold. You know, the only thing that pushes gold up 200 bucks or 500 bucks, really we're talking about 500 plus, is the U.S. economy basically hitting a wall. Because as long as the U.S. economy is growing, even at 1%, if the U.S. economy is growing at 1%, gold's not going up $500. So, yes, you can. we need to look at macro and what is going to make the economy basically not grow. The U.S. economy has to not, has to not grow for like three years in a row to get gold to get to $3,000, at least two years. It has, to, it has to hit a wall. And so you need to understand... What are the things that can make the U.S. economy basically grind to a halt? And I've never, I've never seen the macro negative for the U.S. economy. I, I, I have a Substack and, and and on Twitter, and I published an article last week, the 50 reasons why we're going into a recession. I've never, I've been following the economy since 1980. I turned 20 in 1980, by the way. So I, I've been following the economy closely since 1980. I've never seen. You know, the, the U.S. economy in such dire straits, if you will. The Fed is getting ready to lose control. The Fed has always been able to do whatever they wanted. But they needed to print like $4 trillion when COVID hit. And, and they did it because inflation was basically zero at the time. But now inflation is at 3%, 4%. So they can't now, they, can't, they cannot do what they need to do to restart the economy. So the, the Fed is basically, I say they're, 
they haven't lost control yet, but they're basically on the verge of losing control. I actually think that Yellen went to see China out of desperation. You know, we basically have had, you know, this the Secretary of State, Blinken, he went there last month, and now we have the Secretary of the Treasury go there a month later. You don't see China coming here, do you? No, we're over there begging, you know, trying to figure out what they're doing. We're, you know, we're scared to death what's going on. We're, we're spending all this money in Ukraine, we're, and we're broke. We have, you know, $2 trillion deficit, and yet we're... You were basically funding a war in Europe. You know, that's just part of the story. But there are so many negative macro factors that point to the U.S. in, in dire straits. I've been saying that this recession will be worse than 2008. And we will, it's, there's not going to be a recovery. This is, basically, this is it. What the U.S. era that began in 1945 is over. And it will be apparent in 2024. And, and Wall Street is basically ignoring all of the data. They're, they're cherry-picking the data. Basically, they're just focusing on employment. And employment is strong, undoubtedly. There's no doubt. Employment is strong. But employment is the last thing to drop, is the last shoe to drop when a recession happens. And so once the employment starts down, then, then you got to... Wall Street has a big problem on their hands because Wall Street is not expecting a hard landing. It's not... It's not I mean, the earnings right now, the PE is, the case shiller, the CAPE is at 31. You know, basically, it's, it's, it's way over, overpriced versus a hard landing. And we've already saw, I'm just throwing a couple of things out. I have 50 of them on my list. But we have, corporate bankruptcies are already on the rise and we're not even in a recession yet. That gives you a hint that, the, that this recession is going to be much worse than 2008. And again, this is what's going to drive gold and silver higher. The, the macro data is all aligned for gold to go higher. And on top of that, you have this, you know, the Ukraine war is basically set up a scenario for the dollar to lose its, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, of course, but it's going to trend down where you have countries that are basically taking gold reserves off their balance sheet. And I think that's going to happen. And so you're going to have a trend away from the dollar. I think that 2024 is going to be the year the dollar dies. Now, when I say dies, I'm not saying it's going to crash overnight, but it dies in the, in the sense that it trends downward. It trends downward and people realize that that trend is kind of a, kind of a death march. And I think it is. And the reason why is because the dollar's underlying value is, is the U.S. economy and the U.S. military. And so the U.S. economy and the U.S. military are basically going to begin to decline in 2024. And this is the engine that will go underneath gold and, and basically be a rocket ship for the mining stocks. Don, for those that want to track your work, aside from Twitter, you mentioned the Substack. What's the, what's the URL there and how else people reach you? Yeah, just go to Substack and search for Don Durrett. It's the same spelling as my Twitter, you know, at Don Durrett. And so, yeah, you can, if you're not sure on the spelling of my name, go to my website, goldstockdata.com. But it's pretty easy to find me. Also in Seeking Alpha. So those are kind of the, those are the four, four main places to find me. But yeah, Michael, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I usually don't like to do Monday podcasts, but this one was pretty good. Glad to hear that. I appreciate it. You joined and you for joining as well. Again, this will be an edited podcast soon enough. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. All right. I'll see you.
The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.